0: Welcome back to this week's episode of Sports Ethos Kings. This is Jill. And this, um, we're going to get started with a little Twitter uh, fan roundtable. And so uh, I think you guys will recognize uh, these guys as we go around. But I'm going to let them introduce themselves and give a little bit of a brief info and then where they can find you on Twitter. And so um, if you're not already following them, which I doubt, make sure you give them a follow. But we'll start off with Brett. Take it away.
1: Yeah, I am Brett Huff. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brett Huff 22. Uh, I'm that uh, game developer uh, for Nintendo's Next Level Games. I'm the Canadian Kings fan, even though I'm not technically Canadian. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's mostly who I am. Uh Oh, you might know me because, you know, there's that whole brain tumor thing. That's not important. But uh, on top of that, you know, I I tweet random X-Men stuff. My wife's a baker, yada, yada.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Brett. All right, Michael, take it away.
2: Hey, I'm Michael Gallery. I'm uh, at Lotus Prime at uh, Twitter. So uh, I've been a Kings fan since 1985. So I'm an OG. I've been around since the original back when I was seven years old or whatever. So. I've been here since the beginning, and uh, that's pretty much it, you know, from Sacramento, born and bred, and uh, we'll go from there.
0: Thank you. All right, Trevor, you're up.
3: Okay, I'm Trevor Consilla. I'm at TrevCosey23. I've Actually, I guess guess now is a good time to confess, I definitely was a bandwagon Kings fan, so I think I hopped on board around the time of the playoffs, uh, around 2000. Uh, but unlike most bandwagon fans, I actually stuck with the team 22 years later through you know the last 16 years. So um, I, I guess I've lost that title now. But uh, <laughs> been a been a fan for a couple decades, um, and uh, yeah, just ready for some something uh, something to cheer about. But here I am.
0: <laughs> All right, thank you for joining, guys. Um, so first off, I want to get your thoughts on Keegan Murray Summer. How are feeling going into the season with what he's shown so far during the summer?
2: Uh, I think he's been excellent. I mean, obviously, he was the MVP of the Summer League. And that was impressive, especially considering the other amount of talent that was available at Summer League. I think that he has shown that he can defend from one to four with ability. Maybe not once. That might be asking much but like certainly wings and smaller bigs yeah
1: i mean uh, i'm i'm always the guy that that's looking at what the experts you know think rather than uh you know watching a bunch of game film or whatever or watching some highlights that somebody else put on youtube so when when they took murray i was a little bit uh uh skeptical because you know there were guys that were considered uh well specifically jade and ivy that was considered to be more you know high upside you know raise their ceiling by a bit uh, to be competitive and so when when they took murray initially i was uh skeptical but in summer league he looked very much the part of an upperclassman who who uh was taken high in the draft like he looked very comfortable very efficient knew what he was doing but also was confident in in what he did there wasn't a lot of uh, silly mistakes there wasn't a lot of moments where you're like Oh well, you know, maybe in a few years he'll understand what he's supposed to do in this situation no he he kind of got it from from the from the jump, and when he did make a mistake he 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 corrected it pretty quick, and so it was very encouraging to see that sort of production, especially now that if the team's trying to compete now, I could see why that sort of player would would appeal to them
3: yeah, and when Murray got drafted I you know I don't pretend to really know too much about these guys I I just kind of uh, listen to what everybody has to say but I'm like, we'll see what happens when once we get him but the, my first reaction when we got him is oh that's not going to be a, a big hit with Kings fans because I know everybody was sort of thinking like Maybe he's not the guy that everybody wanted. Um, So I was just like, well, we'll wait and see. Because sometimes the person that everybody wants turns out to be, uh, you know, a a disaster. And then sometimes it goes exactly as you expect, you know, as as fans say. So, you know, I just wanted to kind of wait and see. And uh, I mean, everything Brett said is pretty much how I felt about Summer League. You know, it's like, okay, I think I understand why this is the guy they took. And um, I've really uh, enjoyed every minute of watching him play. Um, Really seems to have the fundamentals down. Uh, really, I mean, I had heard he was the guy who was most NBA ready, but, you know, you hear that sometimes with prospects and it's they still might have a lot of things they need to work out, uh, but he really does seem NBA ready. He's got a good shot, um, you know, really smooth shot. He doesn't seem to make a lot of mistakes. Um, really just understands the fundamentals. And and that's something that I feel like has really been lacking, even with the veteran players on the Kings. Um, you know, guys who've been in league five, 10 years are still making, you know, boneheaded plays and, you know, that sort of thing. So I think having somebody who's can contribute from day one and and probably limit those mistakes, you know, I'm sure any rookie's gonna make a few mistakes as they transition into the NBA, but really I I feel like he is going to be the one who is. Uh, any coach i mean at the time you know before mike brown was hired i think any coach would feel comfortable putting him in to any situation and i don't think he would really try to do something that he's not capable of and he is actually capable of quite a bit
0: yeah I like that it's about the kind of like not forcing he's very efficient in the fact that he lets the game come to him i did like that he mentioned today i think it was today in one of the interviews or it was yesterday during media day that People underestimate even his off-ball movement where he, because of his minutes his freshman year, you know, people didn't really pay attention to him, but he says he had so much experience with Luke Garza. And so, you know, in his, and because that was the focal point where you could say that was their bonus of the team of that was the the focal point point. the offense ran through him that um, he just reminded everybody. I have played with someone like that and I'm very much capable of, of playing off the ball. So I did like that. And he's just, he's very smart. Like he's just very, his basketball awareness, I think it's extremely high and it's, we've always said that this team is kind of lacking that right in spades. And so to have uh, seemingly acquire more of those guys to me can only mean positive once you're actually on the court. Hey, listeners, it's time to talk a little fantasy hoops. Do you remember who led you to Tyrese Halliburton, DeJounte Murray, Terry Rosier, and Mikhail Bridges before any other rank list? That's right. It was the Brewski 150, and you probably turned those huge wins into some cash, didn't you? That is great. Well, this year, the Brewski 150 is on sale for a limited time. And Ethos 360 subscribers can get access in less than a week. Head to sportsethos.com and click on the premium tab to grab membership or draft guide today. And yes, to answer your most important question, the Brewski 150 is included in both options. Check back daily for more new features and to go dominate your leagues again with Sports Ethos. All right, so we will go to the next one. So what were you guys' thoughts? Because I know one of the biggest criticisms from Monty, other than, you know, the team losing, essentially, is he. People felt like he didn't do enough through trades or free agency his first two years here. I should say completed, <laughs> completed trades and signings because we did see, you know, a couple that trades that fell apart where we know he was actually, you know, actively involved and players thought they were going to happen both times and they just fell through. But this offseason, we actually saw. Some completion of of some free agencies and trades. And so um I'd like to get your guys' thoughts on Monty's
2: moves this summer. Well, I just want to go back to Keegan for a second. I think everybody knows that I was like a big shin sharp proponent in the pre-draft process. Like you were because you were. I thought Sharp <laughs> had them because Sharp had I thought I thought Sharp had the biggest upside and that Murray was probably like the boring pick, I guess, what people would say, or the boring is good when you think that you're close or when you think that you have other assets that you can get that will take you to the next level. Like, you want that player that's like NBA ready when you have uh pieces that are on board, and this is sort of going to transition into what what Monte did over the offseason, getting Herder getting Monk you know we all know that Malik Monk couldn't be signed until you know July 7th or whatever but that was done before you know before the draft or maybe shortly after the draft right like we all know what the tampering rules are and what the situation is and you know, so they knew they no at least on their radar <laughs> that they had Malik Monk, that they had Kevin Herter. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, you know, they had Kevin Herter on the radar. They had, you know, Malik Monk on the radar. They had players like that on the radar. So the, the impetus to go get a shooting guard was lessened in that situation. And so the, it allows you to go get a Keegan Murray instead of a Shania Sharp or a J-9.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I I was, it it made Jade and Ivy passing on Ivy so much more palatable to know that, okay, Monty probably had a, pretty good idea of how to get not one but two uh, talented shooting guards and, and so the rest of his path to the offseason was pretty pretty clear once he had the opportunity to take Keegan Murray. When when the Monk signing was announced, I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. They got a starting shooting guard and didn't really have to pay the, the whole Laker tax, you know, like the, you get the nice little shine of playing with the Lakers and playing pretty well and, and uh, they they got him to take, you know, slightly less than the mid-level to come to Sacramento and leave the Lakers, which you know, doesn't often Happen, but then all of a sudden, what a day or two later is when they traded for Herter. and you're thinking, "Wow, did did Monk know that was going to happen?" But he seems just as happy as he would have been if, if Herter wasn't in town. And I'm sure he'll play some. Uh, Herter would play some some small forward uh, quite a bit, considering there aren't a lot of you know talented uh, small forwards that are currently on the roster, at least proven small forwards on the roster, unless you of course count Harrison Barnes, who they did not move any (laughs) they didn't move harrison barnes uh and that was the one that was you know heavily rumored just because of the circumstances of of, i mean honestly if i were harrison barnes and my contracts up next year like he's got to strongly be considering leaving because his prime is just about up he hasn't won in a long time like as soon as the mavericks started to get good they, they traded him. Uh, and so, like, he doesn't have a ton of incentive to come back, especially if the Canes are bad. So the fact that they didn't move him, you know, maybe they're they're being patient again. Like Monty's Monty's been known to be patient. Or maybe they think they can make it work long-term with him as an extension. I don't know. But I think they're kind of running out of time to figure that part of it out.
3: Yeah. And um, Monty, uh, you know, I, I I feel like sometimes when you look at his moves, um, individually you know people it, i mean just like any moves really you know you can kind of question like is this the part like you know why did he make this move or um you know is was that the right move um but it seems like since we've gotten um Monty here to sacramento it seems like most of his moves when you look at them on the whole they actually make a lot of sense you know combined um i mean just like brett basically said is you know You know, everybody kind of wanted to know, well, we need, you know, we need a guard. So why didn't they draft a guard? And then, you know, a couple weeks later, he ends up with two guards and it's like, well, now, now, now it's a good thing we didn't get a guard. And then, you know, so, um, I think really uh, I I usually whenever the off season's over, I can look back at what was done and it, all of it kind of makes sense. You know, there may be holes that are still need to be filled or there may be a a roster imbalance to a degree. And I think some of that is just stuff that's going to happen in Sacramento, you know, not being limited at what you can do. Um, But I, I think Monty, I I mean, pretty much hit it out of the park for me, this off season, Um, you know, it, you know, I don't, he didn't turn it into a championship roster, <laughs> but I, you know, but I think it, so. As far as what you can, what he was capable of, I think he made all the right moves, and now it's just a matter of seeing how those will play out, and then also seeing for the moves that don't work out or or the things that maybe don't go according to plan, seeing how he um, adjusts um, during the season and uh, going up to the trade deadline which might play into his future here. Um, At least for me, he's done pretty much everything he needs to do, drafting well and um, being pretty savvy and acquiring players. I mean, the way he got Kevin Herter, I I was shocked, honestly, because, you know, Kevin Herter is a, whether he ends up starting at two or three or coming off the bench, he's a starting quality player. um, And those aren't easy to get here in Sacramento. And he basically got it for, I mean, almost nothing. Especially 24-year-olds. Yes. Locked up uh, and and younger. Yeah, that's a good point, because usually we have to, you know, pay for a veteran if we're going to get someone um, or we it might be a rental. So the fact that he can be here for a while and really fits the core of the team, which isn't necessarily young (laughs) super team, just young super team, but, you know, moderately young, you know, a deer and fox age, you know, like, fifth year that kind of seems to be kind of like what they're going for people who are young veterans but not necessarily um you know on their way out of the nba
0: guys who've been established and are in that second second contract in that comfortable where i know i can play in the league right like you're not you're not expecting them to a year or two be out of the league like so many of the other players that that the kings have got but to your point, too, I know it was talked about when the moves happened that for the price of Monk and Herder was Buddy healed. Like and you upgraded like you that two for one at contract wise of what you're paying. Um, and those guys fit what you're trying to do to me so much better. And they're younger
2: and um, they will outperform.
0: And, yeah. And I think what um I'm not even sure if it's being talked about recently, but I mean, one of the big things that Atlanta that they, you know, made the Murray trade was because they had had so many guard um, injuries that Herder was even having to play point guard at times. Like he had played one through three for them based on how many different injuries they've had since he's been a rookie there. And so I think that, you know, when we'll talk about kind of the, the three, you know, the three, the third point guard, are they going to keep more forwards kind of thing where I do think it gets kind of lost that you do have a guy that could technically fall into a third uh, point guard role at six, seven and in case of emergency, if you really needed it. And as we've said before, if that's happening, then things have gone really bad um, and you're most likely, you know, struggling to stay afloat. If you've had, if you've lost um, your, your point guards, you know, of, of the caliber of what they're expecting, they're going to do too. And so um, I'm with you. And I, to me, the only move that out of all the moves or non moves that Monty's done, really the Tristan Thompson one is the only one that we all kind of tried to find, like maybe he was doing it for this, or maybe there was going to be a follow-up trade or that. I mean, to me, that's the only one that really kind of didn't make sense when you had a good you know, Delon Wright on, um, a good contract, but everything else, at least I, as Trevor said, when you look at the big picture and see, you know, it at the end of everything, you can kind of see what he's trying to do. And by adding all this talent and not hurting yourself for future, uh, cap flexibility, I think is huge too. And, and what he showed he could do. And again, upgrading talent while not hurting you, um, down the road and what you're trying to do and everyone is pretty much the same age right i mean outside of harrison barnes everyone's pretty much 24 to 26 range so um you can kind of see what he's trying to do in that and that um you know context I, as well
2: i think the thing with tristan was that he wanted to instill a sense of veteran leadership right and so he brings in tristan Thompson, to hopefully, like, light a fire under these guys to say, "Hey, this is a guy that's been there. He's been to the mountaintop. He's he's been with LeBron. He's been with these guys that have, you know, done the thing that we want to do." And the problem was Tristan's just not good uh, as a basketball player anymore. He's a great locker room presence. He gives a great press conference. He gives a great sound bite. But he's not a good basketball player anymore. And so and half the guys on the roster back- were already
0: one foot out the door. So his rah-rah really wasn't going to resonate, I don't think, with them either to that extent, too. But that's a good point. That's a good point. Right. But-
2: right. And and also, like, so it's not just the raw rah thing wasn't going to resonate, but also, like, um, you can't back it up on the floor. And so what are you telling me in the locker room? Am I going to follow that? No, to some extent, it almost felt like
1: leading into this season that Monty McNair was almost holding back. It was it was weird because it's like he was running a restaurant and trying to build a menu. And he's like, well, I'm not really going to get any. folk. I'm not going to choose any like long term side dishes here until I know what the main courses are. So like once he was able to get Sabonis. And make that trade and decide, okay, so Fox and Sabonis, those are my guys, at least for for the moment. Now I can go and pick those those side courses that will, you know, play off those flavors of the, the main course. And so all of a sudden he can pull off a MLE for, for Monk and he can pull off a herder trade. He can put those resources, start trading, you know, a first round pick for, for herder or whatever to actually acquire talent that helps support those main core guys. And the prior you know, season and a half, he was just looking to try to figure out how do I sneak into one of these deals to get some of those, those core pieces.
3: You know, I think it, it kind of goes back to that. You know, I know Jill's mentioned countless times, all the different teams that <laughs> sort of a domino effect. It's like you get this person and then that turns into this person. And I think that's kind of what, what he did. And that's, and I, and I agree because I think he was holding back and I think it's because he knew he didn't have many pieces. Um, I mean, if I could speculate, like, cause uh, you know, he knew he had deer and Fox, but you know, once he was maxed out now, that's not a, a very tradable contract, but um You know, he needed to get something else. And I think that's really where drafting Halliburton ended up opening the door because it led to, you know, he's like, let me see if De'Aaron Fox is going to be able to lead this team. And then he's like, well, maybe De'Aaron needs help. Well, Halliburton's here. Maybe he can help him. Actually, they play the same position more or less he probably needs a big man and that leads to Sabonis. And which was really that Sabonis move was really the first move where it was like, Oh, here's Monty. Now he's, he's put his stamp on the team. And then it seems like that set the tone of now we're going to go with, we're keeping these, we are keeping Fox. We're getting another guy, the same age, and we're going to build around this core. And then it kind of opened up the door to all these other moves that got made this off season. To be fair. I think if he makes the
2: deal for healed for Harold Kuzma and uh, KCP, right? contagious Caldwell-Pulp. That's a whole different team, right? So now you have Fox, Halliburton, Caldwell-Pulp. I mean, obviously we can play what-if all day, but I think if that deal goes through, then we're talking about a whole different... Like, Savonis never happens. Halliburton never goes away. You know. Uh, you know, we don't know what happens after that, but, you know, because of Westbrook essentially saying, hey, I want to go play with LeBron. That sabotages that whole deal. I mean, Buddy Hill was literally looking for apartments in Los Angeles.
0: As was Montreal. <laughs> Montreal's here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. Another another good point.
2: Monty McNair has achieved something that no other general manager in the history of the Sacramento Kings has achieved and besides maybe Jeff Petrie, and that he has traded for a multiple-time All-Star uh, on his watch, and that is at least something to be said for. Yep, hundred percent. So you know, you know, Demarcus Sabonis is a great player, not a good player, a great player, and uh, that is a thing that the Kings have not had since Demarcus Cousins.
0: Hey, guys. So that ends part one of our fan roundtable. I will be posting part two on Friday and we will be getting into Coach Brown, his staff in the summer, Monty and his extension. And then we will have Brett, Trevor and Michael's uh, feelings and how they're feeling going into the season. So thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys on Friday.